journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov to all our listeners. Glad to be with you today to learn Torah. Talmud Torah, Kaneged Kulam, learning Torah is amongst the highest of anything that we can do because it guides us and it teaches us um, how we are to live our lives. So thank you for joining me. We are learning the book of Exodus. <coughs> Excuse me. We are learning the book of Exodus. We are in the Pasha of Vayera. And we're coming very close to starting the dramatic uh, story of how um, the, the, the plagues came upon the Egyptians. Dramatic in that there is many, many, many things that we can learn from there. And as always, I welcome any questions or comments that you have on 34519 or 061-895-1019, which is our telegram number. We left off. Um, just uh, the last time where the Torah took a hiatus and was discussing the lineage of Moshe and Aaron just to dispel from anybody's mind then and now and everywhere in between that they were in fact the true leaders that were um, chosen by God to go and bring redemption for the Jews. And as you can see through the narrative and through the, the stories that in life not much has changed, is that any anybody who comes into a position of power and tries to effect enormous change has an enormous amount of flack. And <laughs> Moshe and Aaron definitely had that, not only from the Jewish people internally, but from Pharaoh himself. Um, it really, really took a lot of um a lot of, 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 of guts, determination, and perseverance to eventually bring through the redemption. And I guess just thinking about it now, and uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it, you know, all good things, things, you know, that we really, really want don't just come in a, in a uh, blink of an eye or, you know, just click our fingers and it happens. When we look back and we see that we built good things or we have done Done, done something of, of enormous or even small, um, uh, goodness in this world. It comes with, it comes with its trials and the tribulations and it comes with a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And that's really how we will start seeing how the redemption in Egypt unfolds. And that too then is something we know that whatever happened in Egypt is a prototype, um, for, for, for us today because 3,300 years later, we Jewish people are still yearning for the redemption. We talk about Mashiach all the time. We talk about a world that will be filled with goodness and kindness, that it is a redemption not only for the Jewish people, but for the entire world. Sickness will disappear. War will disappear. Um, and only goodness, kindness, and good stuff will be around. And really, we look at the world today, and we just see it getting messier and messier and messier. And if we to take a 50,000-foot view we should understand that all of these things are the trials and the tribulations, the difficulties, the hardships and the challenges that comes with procuring real change in this world. And slowly but surely, the consciousness of humanity is changing, um, though we are, we do feel like we hit brick walls or we hit horrible challenges that, that seem insurmountable. 
But Judaism always holds that goodness will always prevail over evil. And as we saw in the story with Egypt, eventually Egypt did come and fall to its knees. It was completely broken and the Jews experienced redemption. So too now with all the difficulties and trials and tribulations that we have, you know, birthing isn't an easy process as any mother would tell you. Birthing is a very, very difficult one. A lot of contractions, a lot of pain, and particularly when you go into active labor, it seems then that the pain is, is sometimes intolerable. But having said that, we all know that from that pain, we birth a beautiful child. And so too, we are birthing now into this world a new God consciousness. Um, in every aspect of our lives, we are seeing more and more that consciousness coming to, you know, to, to, to the fore, whether it's technologically, whether it's medically, whether it's financially, whether it's even emotionally, there's a lot of very deep healing happening. And, um, yeah, we are going to go see the redemption in the same way that we are going to learn about the redemption in Egypt as we go through the books. And as always, I invite you to, to, to have to have this discussion with me and, 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 and think about it really in your life. Do you see redemption or are you completely engulfed in the day-to-day runnings of this world that you can't see the wood for the trees? Because truly, I, I believe when I do take a step back, um, that if we do look at the world, we are in an incredible place, in an incredible space, and we are really the generation that will and are witnessing the, the the redemptive process. So it's not something that we um, should not that we should let me say like this. It's not something that we should take um, for granted, but rather be very very wary of it and play our part in bringing the redemption closer. And of course, just before we get into the verses, um, if you would ask, how is it that um, you know we do we do come closer? The answer um, is that you do another mitzvah, you do another good deed. And in all of that, um, while I'm at it, and I should have said it at the beginning of the show, I'm dedicating our learning today, our cumulative learning, to the Rafur Shlem of a special young man in our community, Rafael Chaim Shalom ben Rivka Chava. We should see the redemption there, and we should see things turn around in a very obvious and positive way. Right, so we are going to be um, learning chapter 6, and we are going to be starting on verse 29. Hashem says to Moshe, Ani Hashem, I am the Yudke Vavke, Jaber al-Paro, go to Paro, Melech Mitzrayim, the king of Egypt, and you must tell him everything I'm going to be telling you. And just one last time, Moshe again says to God, Moshe Hashem, Moshe says to God, I have disabled lips, Paro is not going to listen to me. Um, Moshe felt very, very um, vulnerable in the fact that he would not have the ability to express himself properly to Paro. And so he brings it up yet again. And we are shortly going to go and see what God's answer is. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 
So what's God's response to Moshe? By Yomeh Hashem or Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, Behold, I am giving you over to Paroi, meaning I'm going to make you look great in Paroi's eyes. And Aaron, your brother, will be your prophet, meaning he'll speak on your behalf. You will speak everything that I have commanded you. Aaron, your brother, will speak to Paro, so that he should let our people go. But he does give a caveat to all of this. I will harden Paro's heart. And that will allow me to amplify, to increase the number of signs and the number of wonders in the land of Egypt. Paro will not listen to you. I will give you my hand in Egypt. I will take out my armies, my legions, it's Ami, my nation, B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, Me'erot Yitzrayim, from the land of Egypt, Bishpatim Gedolim, with great acts of judgment. V'yadu Mitzrayim, Ki'ani Hashem, and then Egypt will know that I am Hashem, V'intoti et yadi al Mitzrayim, for I will stretch forth my hand over the whole of Egypt, V'hotseti B'nai Israel, Mitocham, I will take Egypt's uh, I will take the children out from amongst them. So God is basically calming down Moshe one more time and basically saying, don't be afraid because I'm going to make you God-like um, in front of Paro. You'll be able to judge, you'll be able to court, you'll be able to impose harsh penalties on him. And all through this time, Aaron will be your spokesman. And we've spoken a lot about this impediment that God gave, if God is everything, then God could really, um, he would be able to, uh, he would be able to give him the, the gift of the gab. He would be able to allow him to, to speak, right? But God on purpose didn't allow him to speak because that would then magnify God's greatness and the wonders even more. So it would not happen that many years down the line, people would go and say, Oh, you know why we left Egypt was because Moshe was a great orator. On the contrary, because Moshe was such a great spiritual guy, number one, he was so able to talk to God, like I'm talking to you now, okay, that um, his, his strength really lay in the spiritual realms, not in the physical realms, but God gave him this inability to speak properly because he wanted to make sure that when people look back and they saw the miracles, that there was no question that it came from God. Very interestingly, while we are talking about mouths, you know, if you look at the human body, we've made, we're made of two of everything. We've got two nostrils, two ears, two eyes, two legs, two hands, two lungs, two sides of the heart. We've got the spleen and the liver, which complement each other. We basically are made up of a duality. The only place the Torah teaches us that there's only one of is our mouth. Because our mouth, we are told, holds death and life in it. What we say can bring about destruction or it can bring about good. And so God did not 
create two mouths. He wanted our mouths to only be used for good, not to be used for the mundane, only to be used in the speaking and learning of Torah and of doing good deeds and all of that. And so, um, yeah, we only landed up with one mouth. And, uh, you know, that keeps the dentist and orthodontist busy anyway. <laughs> but interestingly also, our mouth, we are told, has many locks. There's the lips when they close, then you cannot let out anything negative, and then you've got an entire century of, of, of and guarding of teeth that actually like shut it down like a dungeon so your tongue doesn't wag indiscriminately. So as just as a thought, moving forward into the, the this week and next week where we are moving now into the nine days and to a time where we are mourning the destruction of our temple. And we know that the destruction of our temple came from sinat chinam, from hatred of, of one another. We should make a concerted effort that God gave us only one mouth, and that mouth is only to speak good. And so let's practice two things. When we want to say something not good, don't say it. And when we want to say something, make sure that um, it is... Um, it is, in fact, only good. Let's practice good speech. Let's take it upon ourselves to practice good speech. So, Moshe's stuttering was not to be was not to be cured. So that is the first thing. And the second thing that 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 God is going to be doing, and we're going to see it now, is that Moshe is going to be unbelievably powerful because. Whenever he speaks, he's going to have his brother interpreting. It made him more God-like. He was not a God, but it made him more God-like. And in doing that, um, that that amplified again the nervousness and the the scariness that 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 Paro and his courtiers felt when they were in the presence of Paro. You know, many times it's not what you say, but it's what you don't say. That speaks much louder. Um, also, very interestingly, God um, calls the Jewish people in these verses here. I read verses 1 to 5. He says, I'm going to take out my armies of the Hotseti et Sivotai et Ami Israel. I'm going to take out my armies, the children of Israel. And we know that um, why they're called armies, because we had 12 tribes of Israel, and that parallels the 12 signs of the zodiac. And just as the stars are God's armies, so are the the Israelites. And you're going to see now also that a lot of the plagues are going to come about um, through the staff of Moshe and of Aaron. And you're going to see now, we're going to start learning as to how they started introducing to Pharaoh that they were in fact a formidable crowd, and they were not to be messed with. Okay, so let's see. Vayas Moshe Aaron. I'm looking in chapter seven, verse six. Vayas Moshe Aaron. Kashetziva Hashem Otam Ken Asu. Moshe and Aaron did what they were told. They did exactly what God instructed him. And just for um, historical significance. Moshe ben Shmonim Shana, Moshe was 80 years old, the Aaron ben Shalosh Shmonim Shana, he was 83 years old, the Dabram of Paroi, um, when they spoke to Paroi. By the way, it is from here that we understand that Aaron was three years older than Moshe, and Miriam was similarly three years older than Aaron. Okay, we didn't know that 
before. Now remember, also just as a precursor, that um, Paroi prided himself in being a god himself, and part of his godliness, which I'm putting in inverted commas, um, he purported that he spoke every language in the world. The only one he couldn't was Hebrew. So what would happen? What was going to happen now is that Moshe would speak quietly to Aaron, and Aaron would then translate his words to Paroi, which again amplified and made much greater the stature of Moshe. By Yomer Hashem or Moshe, verse 8, God, Hashem says to Moshe Aaron, and to Aaron saying, Ki yidaber alechem Paroi, when you go speak to Parolemor, saying, Nulachem Mofet, and he says to me, he'll say, who are you? Like, can you give me a sign? Aaron, then you'll say to Aaron, Kach et matcha, take your staff, the hashlech vitne paro, and throw it before paro yihil etanin, it will become a snake. Okay? So, Moshe, I mean, Hashem is uh, preempting it all over again and saying to him, um, Paroi is going to ask for your credentials. He's going to want to know who the heck you are. He's going to want to know if you're truly genuine. Okay? So, um, just know that he's going to ask you what to do. Aaron is going to throw down his staff before Paroi and it will become a snake. And this is symbolic of Paroi. Why? Because a snake can shed its skin, but it's still the same snake. And the same thing we are going to see here, moving along, that Paro may seem to change his ways, but in truth we know he always remains the same. Also, you're going to go see that when Aaron grasps the snake, it will turn back into a wooden staff. And so the analogy is that although Paro seems as deadly as a viper, when you, Moshe and Aaron, will grasp him, when you will assert your control over him, he will be no more powerful than a wooden stick. And one last thing is that the reason why the first sign, the first entry into trying to convince Paro to let the Jewish people go is this stick is because it should be a um, a symbol to show Paro his error. Why? Because what do you generally do with a stick? You can beat a dog. And since Paro was a king, you can't say to him that openly, but if he starts to see the, the staff transformed into a snake, he himself will understand. So let's see how this actually Pans out. By Yavo Moshe Aaron Paro, Moshe and Aaron came to Paro. By Yasuchen Kashetiva Hashem, they did exactly what God commanded them. The Yashlech Aaron et Matehu Litnei Paro. He threw his staff down before Paro. The Litnei Avadav and before his courtiers. The He Litanim. Okay, so. First of all, one of the interesting things is just to look at the language. I keep on emphasizing all the time that in order to understand the Bible properly, one needs to look in the Hebrew because the nuance in the Hebrew says much more than the way it's easily translated into English. So if you look at the words, Moshe and Aaron came of Paro, you will see that the word is in the singular. 
But that doesn't make sense because it says Moshe Aaron. Moshe and Aaron came. So how can the word come be in the singular? Should it have said Moshe Aaron that they both came. So this comes to teach us that although Moshe was younger than Aaron, and we spoke about this before, about how we give honor to somebody older than us, Moshe also was extremely humble. He went first. Why? Because Moshe was God's ambassador, and he wasn't concerned about his own honor. He had an obligation to be concerned about God's honor. That's the first reason. So that's why it says it in the singular, is that he was going in because he was coming in as a representative of God, and that's what he had to do. Besides which, also remember, Moshe had grown up in the palace, and therefore he was far more respected um, by the Egyptians than Aaron. Okay, so that's what happened. Moshe went into Paro first, and then he was followed by Aaron. And the Torah is very careful to say, They did so because God commanded them to do that. Okay, so we can see over here that Moshe wanted to honor Aaron by letting him go first, but he did not do so because God commanded him the way he should do that. Now, one other symbolism that I failed to mention just a few minutes ago about the the the, the staff changing into a snake is that God was trying to give a very, very important lesson. Um, and, and the lesson is that we know that when a person bows before God, he needs to bow deeply so that um, he has all his vertebra bend. When he bows down, he must bow straight with his back straight like a stick. When he rises, he must do so little by little like a snake rising. And this is the way, by the way, how we are supposed to bow down in the Amidah. You bow down with a straight back, but when you come up, you are kind of like curl one vertebra at a time. Now, what does, what does this have to do with Paro? We know that when Moshe and Aaron went initially to Paro, he went and said, well, who's this God that I should listen to him? Okay, so God was sending him um, a stick that turned into a snake, as if to say, this is how you're going to bow to God. You will bend down like a staff, and you'll rise like a snake. And this will be a sign that you will be totally subjugated to God. So imagine now, we're sitting in the palace, there's Moshe and Aaron, they're standing before Paroi, and he says, who's this God? Show me a sign, give me your credentials. And Aaron throws a big wooden staff onto the floor in front of him, and it changes into a snake. Well, that didn't really hold too much water, as we will see. By Yikra gam paro lechachamim, ve'lam chachshvim, he started laughing um, and he basically went and said to them, is this the best trick you could do? You, you like think you're bringing something valuable, like something new to Egypt? Merchandise such as yours is very common. Even children can do tricks. And so he called for the scholars, the wizards, the hieroglyphists of Egypt, and they did the same Thing. He actually sent for a number of young children who were beginning to learn about the occult arts, and each of them managed to throw their magic wand, and boom, 
it became it became snakes. That's why it says, Each man threw their their stuff by Yuletananim, and they they became snakes. Um, I'm going to stop it over there. Right. So now, um, by the way, just in understanding all of this. Did the, the, the stick change into a real snake and did the real snake change back into a stick? Um, apparently it is an, it is an optical illusion that, that if you know just a little bit of magic, this is something that you could do. It's a type of hypnosis that the Egyptians knew. You didn't need to know a great skill. And in fact, two of Egypt's greatest occults were there. Their names were Yochni and Mamre. And Yochni and Mamre laughed and said, you're trying to sell hay in a field that is full with straw. Okay? Why are you trying to show us, the Egyptians, who were the greatest occultists of the time, you're trying to show us like a, like a, a, a silly, silly, silly trick? Um, and Moshe and Aaron replied, that's why we're doing it here. Because if we did it elsewhere, people would think it's merely a great feat of magic. magic. But soon you're going to go and see that while you can do the first part, you're not going to be able to do the second part. And what is the second part? By Yivla Mate Aharon et Matutam. Suddenly Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. And then what happened? By Yechezak Lev Paro, Paro hardened his heart. And he didn't, he didn't, um, Want to let the Jews go, he hardened his heart and he refused to listen to God. So that he actually caught quite a skrk, as we say, in South Africanism. Then elaborate a little bit more just after this break. It's 101.9, Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. So what exactly happened? So, Aaron threw his staff down and it turned into a snake. Paro starts laughing and um, he's like, all the kids can do the same thing. Okay? And he actually made a big show about it. He called, he told all his Egyptian magicians to transfer their, their staffs into snake. He also made the young apprentices. And so literally the floor of the throne room was literally crawling with snakes. But here's what happens next. Very carefully, Aaron grasped the snake that had been his staff, and immediately it became a staff, it became a staff again. Then he threw his staff down onto the floor. And as Paro and his courtiers were watching, Aaron's staff it was hard now. It was a stick. Aaron's staff began to move about the floor, and every time he encountered one of the other snakes, it swallowed him up. Now, if the staff had swallowed up the other snakes while it was still a snake, well, okay, it wouldn't have been such a great wonder. What was a wonder is that Aaron's staff swallowed the others after it had reverted back to a staff. And that's why when you look at the words, it says that Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Okay? Because the other snakes were never anything but staffs. They might have looked like snakes, but it was an optical illusion. 
when the staff swallowed the other snakes, a second miracle became more tangible and more apparent. And that was that Aaron's staff didn't change at all. It, it didn't become thicker. And there was no evidence whatsoever that anything was in Aaron's staff. And it was here, this second phenomenon, that we read, okay, by Yechazek Leparo, okay, his, he hardened his heart, he was very frightened, because if Aaron's staff had such power that it could, that, that, that it could do that, then it would have the, 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 the power also then, the metaphor here, the message it was giving, if I can do this, if Aaron can do this to the, the staffs of Paroi, then they are going to be able to swallow Paroi and his throne without leaving a trace. And we are told in the Medrash that Paroi actually went berserk, okay? Um, he, he, he kicked them out, and as soon as he kicked them out, he, kept, he said to his people there, if that Moses comes back here, I'm going to have to burn him, I'll hang him, I'll decapitate him. And what's interesting is that every time Moses came back, Paroi fulfilled that sign, that symbolism of the staff. He became as impotent as a dead stick. So again, remember we said Paroi was now like as dangerous as a snake, but as soon as Moshe and Aaron grasped him, he became as helpless as a dead stick of wood. And by the way, it's not mentioned here again. It was mentioned in the beginning of, 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 um, of when, when Moshe was told what signs. They came back later. They also performed the second sign, which was placing his hand in his shirt and bringing it out white with leprosy. This was duplicated by the Egyptian guys, but they couldn't do it the vice versa. Nevertheless, those two lessons were a lesson and they were there in order to try and shake Paro up from from what he was doing. So that's what we have over here. Let's continue now with the first plague, which is now going to be the plague of blood. Right. Now what we're going to do is we are going to embark on the on, on the on the on the plagues, and you're going to see that every um, every 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 plague um, is a a a, um, a a punishment against um, Paroi and the Egyptians for doing what they 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 had to do. Well, I mean, what they what do for doing what they did to the Jews. It was a midakineged midah. It was a divine punishment. And as you go around, you will see that God is very exacting in his punishment and very exacting with, with, with how things, uh, work out. Okay. Um, let's see over here. So it's now chapter seven, verse 14. By Yome Hashem al Moshe, God says to Moshe, Kaved lev paro Paro's heart is stubborn and he refuses to let people go. Um, by the way, um, Paro's, Paro's heart is stubborn. They use the word kabed. Kabed is also like a liver, which is kabed. Okay? 
Um, meaning what happens with liver, the more you roast it over fire, the tougher it becomes. So the same is true with, with Paroi, right? If he had a heart, if he really uh, wanted, he wouldn't be complaining. But he's sitting and he's really, really being exceedingly stubborn with what God is trying to tell him to do. Lechel Paro, says God, go to Paro, Baboike, in the morning. He goes out to the water. Go, go call him, go stand before him on the banks of the Nile. And the, the, the stick that you have in your hand, the nachash that was transformed into the snake, take that in your hand. Right, how does the first plague start? It starts, as we know, as the first plague is blood, and how did it happen? He has to go and encounter Paroi by the river Nile in the morning. The question is why? Just why don't you just make an appointment, walk into his palace, like others, and say, that's what's happening. So, as being explained, and I'm going to just maybe repeat and expand a little bit more, Paroi was considered a god by the Egyptians. Everybody thought he had these god powers, that he could speak the 70 languages, he could perform all sorts of, of, of miracles. And one of the ways that Paroi gave that impression to the populace was that he never had any bathrooms in his palace, okay? Not even in a hidden place, because if you are a god, <laughs> you have no need for such a mundane facility, right? So, but he wasn't a god. He was a human being. So what did he do? Every morning, he would go out to the water. He would go to a hidden place along the Nile. His closest advisors even were told that he's going to go meditate and, and, and uh have a tete-a-tete with the other gods. But while on the banks of the Nile, he would relieve himself. And so nobody in Egypt knew that. And the, the rule was that the entire area around the Nile had restrictions on it during the morning. Paro did not want anybody to discover his secrets. So what does God say to Moshe? Go to Paroi by the water in the morning. Because that's where you're going to find him alone on the banks of the Nile. Now you will, you yourself will then see how what a, what how false his uh, his claims of divinity are, and then take the staff that you have in your hand and that turns into a snake. And as soon as Paro is just going to see you standing with that staff, he's going to remember the sign that Aaron performed with you, and he's going to start getting very, very nervous. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, and then God is just going to give him the instruction of Amata Elav Hashem, and you say to him, Hashem Elokeha Ibrim, Hashem, the God of the Israelites, Shalachani Elecha has sent me to you, Lemor, to say, Shlachet Ami, let my people go, Viyavduni Bamidbar, let them serve me in the desert. But you have not listened until now. From this you will know that I am God. I am going to hit with a stick that is in my hand. On the water. And all 
the water of the Nile will turn into blood. And all the fish in the Nile will die. And the Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will stop to drink water from the Nile. So, um, you know, Pyro obviously got a big fright because he was intruded upon in a very t- private place. And he started yelling at Moshe, says the Midrash, and he said, can't you come and see me and, you know, wait until I'm finished. I'll let you have your peace. He was completely humiliated. Moshe said to him, just get dressed. And then Moshe said to him, you want to know who's this God that I should listen to the voice? Through this, you will know that this is God and this is the warning. Now remember that Egypt was not irrigated by rain. Every year the Nile River rises, waters the land, and through this the Egyptians were able to raise crops. They were completely dependent on the Nile, and they worshipped not only Paro as a god, they worshipped the Nile as a god. And that's why God struck out at the Nile first. Later, he would actually punish its worshippers. Now, a very interesting thing about what, what will pan out is that we know that the Nile is a very long river. It flows down to Egypt from the interior of Africa, but where the river was struck, the entire Nile did not turn into blood. The upper reaches of the Nile that served other innocent nations, they, it remained clear. Basically what happened was up um, until the waters reached the border of Egypt, they were perfectly clear. As soon as the water crossed the Egyptian border, it immediately turned into blood. Um, and similarly, as the water left Egypt and poured out into the Mediterranean Sea, it once again became pure water. And even more, that during the plague, when the Egyptians heard that there was fresh water available in the upper reaches of the Nile, and they even sent expeditions to bring back fresh water, they filled up the barrels, they passed the borders of Egypt, and as soon as they passed the borders of Egypt, the water turned into blood, and there was no way for the Egyptians to drink. Lots more to be said about this, but time is up. So we're going to have... Have you holding by your chairs, hanging up there? Um, I'm going to wish you a Shavua Tov. Um, may uh, we use our mouths only for good things this week, and I'll be with you next week to continue the story of how the plague of blood was something that was enormously horrific for the Egyptians. Until then, Shavua Tov, and this is 101.9 High FM.